Welcome to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Good morning. This is Jay Levine, the editor of Antitrust Law Source and the host of its podcast. And I am once again thrilled to be joined by my colleague, Carrie Garrison. Good morning, Carrie. Morning, Jay. So, you know, in our ongoing series about the antitrust revolution, our third article deals with uh, Senator Klobuchar's competition uh, legislation, aptly uh, named Competition and Antitrust Law Enforcement Reform Act. And I I think the reform is the key there. And Carrie, why don't you uh, kick us off by giving us sort of uh, an overview of sort of what this legislation is about? Definitely, Jay. So Klobuchar introduced this legislation kind of as a kickoff from the 2020 Democratic platform. I mean, we knew some major antitrust legislation was coming, and it seems like she really planned this to be brought in with the Democratic-controlled Congress. So it's really a good time to bring this radical and progressive legislation, and um, she's really taken advantage of that. Klobuchar has introduced legislation in the past, um, but this is really the the pinnacle and probably the most progressive antitrust legislation we've seen in in recent years. This bill is really has broad and far-reaching implications. We can tell that it's going to affect really every major market um, or at least many markets in the United States. Um, it really embraces the New Brandeisians' concerns about growing market concentration and power, and it really redefines uh, what anti-competitive conduct and really competition, what it means. The New Brandeisians really abandon this consumer welfare standard, and we really see that embraced in this bill, especially in the findings. Jay, why don't you tell us a bit about those findings? Yeah, so, you know, every legislation comes with findings, quote-unquote, but this bill has some 25 findings, and several of them are are really noteworthy. One of them says that competition fosters small business growth, reduces economic inequality, and spurs innovation and job creation. And and interestingly, again, this focus on small business growth and economic inequality, these are terms that have not really been present as part of a focus for antitrust, certainly in the last several decades. Uh, another is th- that there's the presence and exercise of market power is substantial and growing, which, again, sort of feeds into the new Brandeisians, you know, worry about that. But then there's another one that says that the market power uh, has particularly damaging effects on historically disadvantaged communities. Again, not normally concerns for antitrust laws, yet they are here in front and center in the findings for this legislation. Similarly, they talk about market power and market concentration contributing to the consolidation of political power, something that, you know, really, really does smack of uh, of both President Roosevelt's, um, in, as you may remember from our previous uh, articles and podcasts. Of course, they talk about the acquisition of nascent or potential rivals by dominant firms, which we know is a big concern, actually across both aisles. And then to your point about the consumer welfare, they basically say that 
courts and enforcement policies have limited the vitality of the antitrust laws by, quote, focusing inordinately on the effect of an acquisition on price in the short term to the exclusion of other potential anti-competitive effects. And that's is certainly a dig at this notion of consumer welfare being the primary focus of antitrust. And then it goes on to basically say that, you know, uh, exclusionary conduct and the like um, has not really been enforced too much because of uh, courts relying on inaccurate economic assumptions that are inconsistent with contemporary economic learning, such as presuming the market power is not durable and can be expected to self-correct, that monopolies can drive as much or more innovation than a competitive market, and that above-cost pricing cannot harm competition and other flawed assumptions. Again, sort of direct attacks on the Chicago School and its foundations. And with that as sort of a backdrop and a foundation, we can better appreciate what this legislation is hoping to achieve in its details. And I guess devil's in its details, so let's get right to it. Uh, Carrie, you want to tell us a little bit about uh, some of the uh, merger provisions? Definitely, Jay. You're right. I mean, the devil is really in the details here. There's some broad and far-reaching implications of um, this legislation, and it starts with this amending of the Clayton Act, Klobuchar aims to lower the threshold for what mergers and acquisitions violate antitrust laws. And in certain cases, she even creates a presumption of illegality for certain transactions. And she does this by creating this new standard. It's a new threshold that's, it's a lower threshold to meet, and it prohibits mergers and acquisitions that create an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition. And we know what materially means from the bill. It defines materially to mean more than a de minimis amount. But it does remain to be seen how courts will interpret the phrase materially lessening competition. And I think it's it's going to remain to be seen how this is really going to be interpreted. But I think that we, we can see that if depending on how courts are going to interpret it, this really could have a really, really broad effect on uh, mergers and acquisitions. And I mean, what is this de minimis amount? I mean, is that just any moving of the needle? Is that a really big change in competition? I mean, I think based on de minimis, we can define that to be, you know, a really small amount, but just how small is going to be up up to the court. So I mean, this legislation is is really going to have a, a significant effect in the antitrust world. So, Carrie, what is she trying to change the standard from? And means, what does the Clayton Act say now? Right. The Clayton Act says now uh, substantially less in competition. So, Klobuchar is moving from substantially to materially. Right. So, uh, I guess it, it does remain to be seen, but clearly uh, they think that's a fairly uh, tough standard for merging parties to meet. As you said, there's also certain presumptions built into the bill. Interestingly, the courts are to presume that certain mergers already have an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition, including those that would lead to a more than 50% market share 
any deal worth more than $5 billion involving a company worth more than $100 billion, and any acquisitions that would lead to a significant increase in market concentration. Again, those terms are not defined either, but in all of those cases, the burden of the proof shifts to the mark to the merging parties to prove that their merger or acquisition will not in fact create an appreciable risk of materially lessening competition and it's wholly unclear how they can do that so that's that's pretty much of a fairly radical change from what's there now the bill also sort of goes beyond mergers and deals with exclusionary conduct right Carrie Definitely. Yeah, the the bill does address exclusionary conduct and it really seeks to strengthen current law by expanding the definition of exclusionary conduct. Klobuchar makes unlawful um, acting alone or in concert with others to engage in exclusionary conduct that presents an appreciable risk of harming competition. So again, we're seeing this really broad language, substantially, materially, and this appreciable risk. So much like the rest of the bill, we're not super sure what this means yet, but we will see that once, if if the bill is passed and then it, when courts interpret it. The exclusionary conduct that Klobuchar is protecting against is conduct that either materially disadvantages one or more actual or potential competitors or tends to foreclose or limit the ability or incentive of one or more actual or potential competitors to compete. So we really see the broad implications in that language, the actual or potential competitors. So right. I think it's going to be pretty hard to apply this. Don't you think, Jay? There is a presumption or there is a, a view, a perspective that the antitrust laws have just gotten too hard for plaintiffs or enforcers to prove that there's harm. And uh, this essentially lowers that bar and says that, you know, an appreciable risk doesn't have to be definite. It doesn't have to be a lot. It's just, it has to be some, there has to be a, you know, a measurable risk. And that's pretty much it. And that can really affect a lot of conduct. And, you know, especially in our very fast paced world, this is going to be sort of hard for enforcers and courts to figure out. This is kind of turning things on a dime. But she also here also include certain presumptions, right? Right, Jay. So the presumptions here state that exclusionary conduct is presumed if it is engaged in by one or more entities that have a market share of 50% or otherwise has significant power in the relevant market. So again, this really broad and amb ambiguous language, the significant power in a market, what, what does that mean? And um, I mean, are, are entities going to fall into this exclusionary conduct if if we don't have a clear, you know, line of court interpretation of of what exactly this these words mean? I think that really remains to be seen. Right. And, you know, I think you're absolutely right. And in our next article and podcast, we're going to get into sort of the implications and consequences of this bill. But I mean, one can sit back and see a world where if this if this bill passes. You know, we as antitrust lawyers, a client comes to us and says, can I do this? You know, we're now going to have 
for as a counseling matter, you know, is this going to, you know, otherwise, you know, increase your significant power in the relevant market? Again, these are words and standards that have not yet been developed. And um, it's, uh, it's going to be hard to rely on past case law, given the fact that there is a paradigm shift here. But uh, definitely, I think, though, I think, though, that um, I mean, part of the counseling may be uh, relying on this language in the bill that this presumption can be defeated by a showing of distinct pro-competitive benefits. So perhaps the counseling will move toward um, developing some kind of evidence or showing documents that would uh, show that there is not going to be um, these uh, distinct pro-competitive benefits in order to, in order to defeat this presumption. So I guess we do have that out there that the bill provides. Well, you're absolutely right, and that's actually a very um, very prescient point because you know as we know whether you're dealing with section one or section two, there is this inherent you know sort of uh, framework which was actually just sort of laid out in the NCAA case that came out last week where you know you first identify the anti-competitive effects you then identify whether there are any pro-competitive benefits that sort of outweigh and then you identify whether you could achieve those benefits by a substantially less restrictive means and you know this may have the effect of sort of <laughs> presuming the anti-competitive effect, and really spending a lot of your time on the pro-competitive benefit, which of course is very hard to determine whether that pro-competitive benefit outweighs the anti-competitive effects. It's, I mean, we do it and we have to, but as a counseling matter, I can see where that's going to uh, drive some people a little bit, uh, you know, to taking Tums and other antacid uh, uh, medication because it's it's certainly uncertain. But you know, the bill. In some respects, so you know, we've laid out some of the some of the highlights, but the bill also includes some very very interesting things that really go to rounding out how uh, the Democrats want to reshape antitrust enforcement. It calls for uh, much tougher civil fines. Um, you know, it's the fines um, for violations of Section 1, Section 2, or the like are going to be the greater of 15% of a company's total U.S. revenue. And again, for some, that's that's pretty, pretty hefty. Or 30% of the company's U.S. revenue that's related to the illegal conduct. And again, depending on, you know, sort of how you apply that, that's can, that can be pretty, pretty tough. Uh, Senator Klobuchar in this bill also increases dramatically the budgets for the FTC and DOJ. More people, more studies, that's going to translate to more enforcement actions. And then it also sets up within the FTC an entirely new division that's designed to study markets, to study uh mergers after they've been completed to see how they've done. You know, a lot of the empirical work that we sort of have talked about, you know, that they are empowering the FTC to do now um, in conjunction with already these uh, these measures. And again, that's very forward thinking and very uh, and will help and to create a database of this information, but 
all of that sort of this is this is you know in many respects a holistic approach to changing antitrust. Carrie, uh, what other provisions kind of struck you from this bill? Yeah, there's another provision that I found really interesting. Uh, Klobuchar uh, aims to strengthen whistleblower protection. So this goes hand in hand with the strengthening of enforcement um, and, you know, providing a a bigger budget to strengthen enforcement. Um, But I think this whistleblower protection really adds to that foundation for aggressive antitrust enforcement. And that's really the theme of this bill. I mean, we're seeing throughout the findings and all these provisions, really just aggressive and progressive um, antitrust enforcement. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, as I said, there's a lot of consequences, implications for businesses, for antitrust lawyers, for almost everybody uh, from this bill. And we it really sort of div- you know, deserves its own article and podcast, and that's what we'll devote the next time to, as well as a couple of the other um, measures that uh, the Democrats have have brought. And then down the line, we're also going to, you know, detail what the Republicans have brought, because they've also brought some fairly game-changing legislation um, that deserves its own sort of examination, and um, that has its own implications. But, you know, uh, I think we've given you enough to chew on for now. So, um, uh, as always, we if you have any comments or thoughts, please let us know. Uh, you can reach me on Twitter at J-A-Y-L-L-E-V-I-N-E. I am also on LinkedIn. My email is the letter J-L-E-V-I-N-E at porterite.com. I am the host of the broadcast and the editor of Antitrust Law Source. And once again, I'm joined by my... Uh, a wonderful colleague, Carrie Garrison. Carrie, how do people get in touch with you? Yes, please uh, reach out to us for questions or comments. You can reach me on Twitter at C Garrison, G A R R I S O N E S Q. My email is C Garrison at porterwright.com. And I'm also on LinkedIn. So please reach out to us. Let us know what you think about this new legislation. And for Jay, for Carrie, have a wonderful day. We hope you all stay safe and stay tuned. Porter Wright Morrison Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose, and you should not consider it as such. It does not necessarily reflect the views of the firm as to any particular matter or those of its clients. All rights reserved.